0: Good morning to the church. My name is Scott Long. I'm actually one of the pastors at Highview Baptist Church right down the street, Uh, but it is a joy and a privilege to be welcomed here to Forest Baptist this morning uh, to be able to worship the risen Lord Jesus with you and to be able to open God's word together. I always love any opportunity that I get to come here. I know several of the, the families here at Forest and always been welcomed with such hospitality and love when I come to this place. And uh, I love your pastor. I love your pastor and your first lady. And, and you have some, some incredible people shepherding and leading this church, and you ought to be thankful for them. You ought to be thankful for them. The bishops have been uh, incredible influencers and mentors in my life. I've often looked to them for advice and guidance on things in family and ministry and things like that. And so I'm extremely thankful for them. I've been praying for them as they're away uh, this Sunday. And so uh, we're going to dive into God's word together this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, I want you to meet me in chapter five. Matthew chapter five. And we're going to be in verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 26. And when you find it, I want to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come here this morning and to worship you. God, we thank you that you have placed breath in our lungs. God, that you've given us a testimony just like we just sang about. God, that you've saved us from our sins. you looked down to the depths of who we were and you said, I'll take that man, I'll take that woman and bring them into my family. God, thank you that we have a chance to come here and be reminded of that testimony this morning. That we're not here because we're better than those who are not here. We're not here because we didn't mess it up, God. We're not here because we uh, figured it out and had it all figured out. We're here because of grace. We're here because of mercy. And Father, I just pray right now that you would add a blessing to the, to the preaching of your word, that you would be with me, that I could get behind the cross. Father, that we would be able to see you till up the hearts of the people who are listening, God, from you, God, that we might know you better, and we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak this morning about... Breaking free from anger. Breaking free from anger. You know, Michael Jordan was a phenomenal basketball player. There are many who would say that he was the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Now, some folks in my generation and maybe even younger than me might argue you on that, but the older folks tell me there's no point in arguing that older people know better because they actually watched Jordan play. Jordan, if he wasn't the greatest player to ever play, he was among the greatest to ever play, but he was also, if you know anything about his game, he was also an incredible trash talker. So Jordan would would say things to be able to get underneath people's skin and entice them to get them off their game. He would try to get them angry in the moment. Because see, what anger does to us, especially in sports, is it doesn't allow us to, to be able to think clearly and to do things that we would normally do and say. Maybe he gets underneath your skin and causes you to do something that would get your team or yourself into trouble. And so his whole aim in that was to get them angry so they wouldn't be able to control themselves. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount passage, He's going to deal with anger. And He's going to warn us against anger, not just that anger causes us to not be in control of ourselves, but anger also sometimes leads us to do things and to say things against people that are hurtful and harmful, which make it sinful and dangerous. You and I live in a culture that that basically promotes anger and violence, don't we? we? We live in a culture where this is the social media culture, and you can get on social media with the loudest voice to voice your opinions and not really listen to the opinions of other people, and that's just kind of a recipe for conflict and anger. We live in a culture where our entertainment and our television just kind of promotes conflict and violence. What makes reality TV shows so appealing is we know if we watch long enough, somebody's going to go off on somebody. Right? You get people in the same room that have dysfunction and they have these high emotions. You get them in the same room, you better get your popcorn ready because at some point somebody's going to go off. And for some reason, we have a draw to that. We enjoy seeing that and we enjoy indulging in that. Here's the reality is that those things, what they do is they add gasoline to a fire that is already deep within our souls. You and I are already prone to this thing called anger. It's like a ticking time bomb that's deep within us emotionally. And those things basically make the wick shorter and shorter and shorter. The Bible warns us over and over again against anger and what it can do, not just in your life, but what it can do in the lives of the people that we are angry with. The Bible tells us that we ought to be slow to speak and slow to anger because James says that the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. The Proverbs warn us and it says that a man who lacks self-control is like a city that is broken into without walls. And so our anger in times in our lives can be like a prison that keeps us from walking in the will and the character of God. So this morning, I want us to see what it looks like to to be set free from that anger, to be set free from this thing that can be so destructive in our lives. The context of this passage comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. You all have been walking through Matthew chapter 5 and looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus basically preaching what are the principles of being a part of my kingdom. Right? He's telling people what does it look like? How does a life who is walking with Jesus, what does their life look like? How is it described? So we don't enter into the kingdom of God by changing the way we live. We enter into the kingdom of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But here's what Jesus is going to show us is that once you enter the kingdom of God by grace through faith, he begins to change the way you live your life. Right? And so when I was young, my, my, I had some friends who used to, you know, act out sometimes in their behavior. And me kind of following along after them, I would act out sometimes in my behavior. And, and my mom would always get on to me about that. And I'd say something to her like this, you know, my, my, my friends are doing it. You know, everybody else is doing it. That's why I'm acting that way. And my mom would always say this. She'd say, well, well I'm not their parent. Right, I'm not their their mother. You're in this family, and in this family, we do things differently. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying in the family of God, we do things differently. We handle situations differently. We treat people differently in the family of God. And, And so he begins to show us how he does that. Now, to really understand it, I want you to get your eyes on verse 17. Jesus tells us in verse 17 this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what Jesus is saying here is there were some who were wrongly led to believe that since he came and he was preaching mercy, since he came and he was preaching grace and forgiveness, that somehow he was coming to set aside the commands of God. Right? That he was somehow coming to set aside the laws and the commands of the Old Testament. And maybe there's even some people who would be led to believe that here today. That because the gospel is about God's grace covering our sins freely and Him forgiving us freely because of His mercy, that we are free to live how we want and do what we want. And Jesus says, don't think for one second that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish the law. If anything, I've come to fulfill the law and to raise the standard of the law in your heart. Because there's this thing that happens when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. Not only does he save us, but he also comes to make his home within our hearts. He also comes by his spirit to to transform the way we think and to transform what our hearts begin to love and desire. And what he's going to show us is that there's a spirit behind the commands that he wants us to get in tune with. Now, there's the letter of the law, the do's and the don't do's, the outward conformity. He's saying, I'm going to raise the bar to get you to think about what God thinks about. To get you to love what God loves. Yes, he's told us what to do and what not to do, but I want you to see the why behind why he told us to do that. And here, he's going to deal with this issue of anger. Now, there's three things, if you're taking notes, that I want you to write down. Three things right out of our text on breaking free from anger. Number one is we've got to avoid unrighteous anger. We've got to avoid unrighteous anger. Number two, we've got to watch our words we need to watch our words and number three we need to reconcile quickly reconcile quickly so notice the first one in verse 21 where he talks about avoiding unrighteous anger look at verse 21 He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Notice how Jesus is raising the bar here. Jesus says, you've heard that it used to be said one thing, but I'm going to tell you something different. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But he says, I'm going to lift the standard. I'm going to get you to the spirit behind the law and help you figure out what is God's heart in even giving this command. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. Now, most people know that murdering somebody, that taking someone's life, we shouldn't do that. Right, Most of us know intrinsically that it is wrong to take someone else's life. Even a murderer knows that murdering someone is wrong. Right? We know that because even if they were to murder someone else, they don't want you to murder them. Right? That's intrinsically built inside of us. Even a murderer, if you were to murder someone that they love and that they care about, they would want justice and they would want vindication because deep down inside we know that that's wrong. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, letter of the law. But I say to you, spirit of the law, whoever murders someone will be liable to judgment. But I also say to you, whoever has anger in their heart towards a brother is also liable. Now, before we move on too quickly, I want to say a couple of comments about murder And about the the devastation and the darkness that it brings upon so many cities, and especially this city. In the city of Louisville in 2016, there were 118 recorded homicides. That was a record number. Over in 2018, it it went down just a little bit to 80 homicides, and that seems like progress, but I just want that to sit on your heart for a moment, to think about 80 image bearers slain and lost their lives. Here in 2019, we're not even halfway through the year yet, towards the end of May, and statistics tell us that there have been 32 homicides in the city of Louisville. There's murder all around us. There are young people who are killing young people in the streets. There are older folks who are killing people in the streets. There are police who are killing people. There are people who are killing police. There's murder on the East End and gated communities, and there's murder in the hood. And this is not even to mention the thousands of babies that are aborted in the womb, which God defines as murder of a beating heart. There is murder, and the Bible says that it hurts the heart of God. And here's the thing I want to plead with you before I move on. It ought to hurt the heart of God's people. That all human life is precious to God. Amen? All human life from the womb to the grave and everything in between that matters to God and it ought to matter to God's people. I get in conversations with folks sometimes in different settings and you hear people who are commenting about some news article that breaks about somebody losing their life and automatically they want to rush to arguing the facts. You ever been in a conversation like that where they want to argue about whether or not this person was justified, whether or not this person deserved to lose their life? And I I agree, the facts matter. But before we start to argue the facts, can we just lament the fact that there's been an image bearer, someone who God loves and made who's been cut down and their life been cut short? Murder matters in the heart and mind of God, and it ought to matter in the heart and mind of God's people. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But he says, I say to you, raising the letter, he says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, to really be able to grasp what Jesus is talking about here, we've got to understand that there's really two kinds of anger that the Bible talks about. There is a righteous anger and there is an unrighteous anger. There is righteous anger that we see that even Jesus had in the scriptures. In John chapter 2 and later in the Gospels, he walks into the temple where he ought to be seeing worship taking place. And he sees it turned into a marketplace. You remember the story. So he goes in there and the people have, have turned it into a place of greed and materialism. And they make it a place that should have been about prayer for all the nations. Worship for all the nations. And they've turned it into a place of personal gain. And Jesus got angry. Jesus began to flip over the tables and and scatter their money across the floor and run them out of the temple with a a braided rope. You want to see Jesus get good and angry, you pull some religious hypocrisy. Right? Jesus' harshest, most impassioned words were always to the Pharisees. Those people who took God's word and lowered it and took their traditions and raised them and made it hard for people to come to God in their hypocrisy. He got angry with those people. The Bible also tells us that God got angry in the scriptures. Right, That God's anger would burn against Israel when they would sin against him and they would live in idolatry. When they would complain against him, it says that God's anger burned. We don't always like to talk about an angry God, but the Bible says that he was angry against their sin and their idolatry. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us there's this little line where he says, in your anger... Don't sin. Suggesting to us that there is an anger that you can have that is right and that is good, but it can lead you into something that is not right and not good. And so in every one of these cases, he's challenging us, and there's this reality that there is a righteous anger in the heart of God. When we belittle the name of God. When we do things that bring shame upon the name of God, when we do things that bring shame and dishonor among the people that God made in His image, this brings an anger in God's heart, and I hope it brings an anger in our hearts. When God's name is trampled upon and used for personal gain, that ought to to do something to our spirit. That ought to make us upset. But can I be honest with you in here this morning, a lot of times when I see people getting angry, even church folk getting angry, it isn't about the things that makes God angry. A lot of times when I see people getting angry in the church, a lot of times it isn't the things that are unjust and that are wicked, it's the things that that we just got going on in our own heart. Right, I see people getting angry and vicious with each other over politics and policies. I see people getting angry and vicious with each other over lost people acting like lost people. I see church folks who, who are getting angry and vicious with each other over secondary and third, thirdary issues that are theological. I'll never forget I had this guy, this church member come up to me at my church one day and he was all upset. It was a Sunday morning. He was all mad and upset because of the way this young lady had dressed when she came to church one Sunday. And uh, she was dressed less than modest. You look at her and, you know, her skirt was a little too tight. Her, her skirt was a little too, too short. And she was hanging out in places that, that you know, could, it's barely legal that she was hanging out in. And, you know, she came and she was worshiping that morning. And this brother was mad. He was fired up. And I'll never forget this. He came up to me that morning and he, and he wanted to know what I was going to do about it. He's talking about this young lady, and he's like, what are you going to say to her? What are you going to do? And I stopped him in his tracks, and I said, brother, wait a second. I said, are we really talking about what she's wearing this morning? Are we really upset about the fact that she could have been anywhere else in the world this morning? She came to chosen, and give Jesus a try. She came, she chose to come here and to give an opportunity to hear about Jesus who loved her and died for her to change her. And you're worried that she didn't get the memo about the dress code. If the people of God are going to get angry and upset about things, we need to get angry and upset about the things that make God angry. If we're going to get angry and upset, let's get angry and upset about the capital C church that is filled with men who are addicted to pornography and abuse yet trying to lead Sunday school. If we're going to get angry and upset about something, let's get angry and upset about all of the allegations against pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention about sexual abuse, either doing it themselves or trying to cover it up. If we're going to get angry and upset about something, let's get angry and upset about singing about how God so loved the world that he gave his only son for sinners and then shutting those sinners off from actually coming to Jesus. Because we put our traditions about what they should look like when they come to church over God's word. There's a righteous anger that happens in the heart of God over injustice and over belittling God's name that ought to make us upset, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about an unrighteous anger that begins with our sinful passions inside of us and leads us to do things that are wrong and harmful against our brothers and sisters. I want you to hear these words from James chapter 4. James chapter 4, it says this about anger. This is the anger I believe Jesus is getting at. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there's an anger that you and I can have that starts because our heart is set on something other than God. There's an anger that can well up inside of us because our hearts are treasuring something other than God. And then when people come and they make that inconvenient or they become a threat to that thing our heart is set on, now we're angry with them. So maybe, maybe this sounds familiar to you. Um, my heart is set on that promotion at work. My heart is set on that position or that title and somebody else gets it and so now I'm angry with them. Maybe my heart is set on comfort and leisure and you are adding stress and trial and hard work to my life and so now I'm angry with you. Maybe it's that my heart is set on being respected and being revered in the eyes of other people and you disrespected me and so now I'm angry with you and I'm at odds with you. This is the kind of anger against your brother that Jesus is saying we are also liable to judgment. Now the thing that I think we have to understand here is that Jesus... Again, it's raising the standard of the law, the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. And there are some of us who may have read the first part of what he said and thought, you know what, man, I'm good. You've heard that it was said you shall not murder. And and a lot of us would have checked out right there and said, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never tried to murder anybody. So I'm, I'm good on that one. What's the next one? And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm dealing with what's inside of your heart. I want to get into your heart. I want to get down to your soul. And if you've got murderous intentions in your heart towards another person, it's the same as if you murdered them. Right? That Jesus is talking about how the gospel lifts us, and it, it lifts our desires to be righteous even over and above that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Because the gospel isn't just dealing with our actions, it's dealing with the motivations and the intentions behind our actions. And so what this does is it lifts the standard so high that you and I aren't looking at our brothers and sisters and saying, oh, I'm better than him because I have not murdered. We're forced to look within ourselves and realize all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that every single one of us have had unrighteous anger in our hearts towards another person that is set on our intentions and set on something that's deep within us that we need the forgiveness of God for. That we need the mercy of God for because we have unrighteous anger towards another person. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to the same way that Jesus is raising the standard. I want you to raise the standard on how you follow him. I want you to raise the bar on how you follow him. And don't just focus on the do's and the don't do's. I want you to focus on the intention behind the do's and the don't do's. And I want to challenge you to care about the things that God cares about, to get angry about the things that God gets angry about, but don't let it lead you to sin against your brother or your sister. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister is the same as if they murdered them. We have got to avoid unrighteous anger. That's number one. Here's the second one, though. He says not only do we need to avoid unrighteous anger, we also need to watch our words. Look back in the text in verse 21. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council." And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, to insult someone is to use our words to try to cut them down and to try to tear them down. To insult someone is to to use our words to try and belittle another person and mar their image, either to make them feel bad or to make them look bad in the presence of other people. Right? And we do that. We can sometimes use our words as weapons to cut other people down. We can do that, can't we? In our anger, we can do that. The Bible talks about how our words are powerful. You guys believe that our words are powerful? Right? That our words, the Bible says, has the power of either life or death in them. That with our words, we can say things that either bring people out of depression or make them to be able to need counseling. Simply with our words, simply because we've gotten angry with a brother or sister and we've lashed out against them to try and cut them down with insults. So I had an auntie when I was growing up who, um, man, she could get good and angry at the drop of a hat. Right. It didn't take much for her to get set off. She was, she was holy enough to pray for you, but she was hood enough to lay hands on you. Okay, in, in the name of Jesus, she was hood enough to do that. How many of y'all got an auntie like that in your family? How, how many of you this morning, you're that auntie in your family? You, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but we can go there, right? And she used to put some words together. She used to say some things to people and about people that I didn't even know could go in the same sentence. She could use some words and her intention for using those words were always to cut people down and to harm them. And if you've ever been on the other side of one of those sessions right there, you can know how that feels on the inside. That can feel like death. Because what we do with our words is we begin with insults which attacks a person's identity. And then what we do is we move, into, um, we move into humiliation which really begins to attack their purpose and their dignity. And then what we start to do when we get good and angry is we start to, to bring threats upon their life which, which really starts to attack their words. And what Jesus is challenging us with here is he says you're doing this to brothers and sisters in Christ. People that Jesus died for, people that Jesus shed his blood for, he says you're insulting them and speaking about them in this way. Whoever insults his brother is liable to the counsel. What I think Jesus desires the people of God to do with our words is not to tear people down with our words, but to build people up with our words. Right? That that you and I, again, we have the ability to speak either life or death. And even when we have a reason to be angry, the Bible tells us there's a way to go about speaking to people and telling them the truth. So is it true that sometimes there are people in our lives who who need to be told about themselves? Is it true that sometimes there are people in our lives who do ungodly things and they need to be rebuked? that, That sometimes when that happens. But the Bible tells us that when we speak truth to people, we ought to speak truth to them in love. The Bible says that our words ought to be seasoned with grace. You can rebuke somebody and not have to tear them down to be, to be able to do it. Because the ultimate aim isn't just rebuking them. The ultimate aim is restoration. Amen? The ultimate aim is bringing them back to repentance, not cutting them down and condemning them. And he says, so he says, watch your words. Watch how you speak to people. He goes on in the next phrase and he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Fool has a really strong weight to it in the Bible. It has a really strong connotation. My grandmama used to really point out this verse to me and she would say, "No, don't, don't go calling nobody a fool. I never used to understand that. I'm like, grandma, they're, they're acting foolish. Can I call them, why can't I call them what they're acting like? She didn't play that because the Bible has a huge connotation with the word fool. In Psalms chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Proverbs give us warning after warning, and it shows us over and over again about how fools act godless and without God in the world. And so in the Bible, to call someone a fool isn't just to say that they're stupid or dull. It's actually to make a judgment on their character and say that they're in need of judgment from God. So it's to maliciously with our words, not just to say that someone is stupid, but to say that they are godless and in, in facing God's condemnation. And the question I want to ask us this morning is who are we to be able to make that kind of statement about another person? With all of the things that we've done, with all of the mess that's in our lives, who are we to stand over another person as their judge? And so he says to call another person a fool is on par with the judgment that's deserving of a murderer. He says the hell of fire. Now, since this isn't my sermon this morning, but, but hell is a real place. We don't like to talk about it a whole lot because it's not popular in our culture, but hell is a real place. The Bible talks about hell as a place of conscience torment. The Bible speaks about hell as a place where the, the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched, where those who have rejected God and rejected His Word will spend eternity separated from Him. It's not popular, but beloved, it's true. And here I want you to see Jesus saying that, that yes, that's a place where unrepentant murderers go, but it's also a place that those who cut down their brothers and sisters with their words will spend eternity being judged or separated from God. Now, we would say, man, somebody who takes somebody's life in cold blood deserves to go to hell, but what about those who have murderous thoughts in their hearts? What about those who try to cut people down and harm people with their words and their insults? I believe 1 John helps us here really kind of understand why Jesus is so harsh with this statement. 1 John chapter 3, listen to these words. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here's why all of this matters and really why I want, what I want to get to. This is what the whole point of the sermon is all about. Why God cares about this so much is because that brother or sister that you have hateful thoughts about, That brother or sister that you are speaking maliciously to is a child of God that God loves and that God made and that God cares about. I need you to understand that. I need you to feel the weight of that this morning. That's why this matters. It's not just that you're calling any old somebody a fool. It's that you're calling God's child a fool. Right? It's not that you're just, you know, speaking out against and speaking sideways to any old somebody. You're speaking sideways to somebody who was created by God in His image. It's not just that you're treating somebody who is a lifeless, inanimate object. It's that God made them and God loves them and that's why this matters. It's that our unrighteous anger leads us to be ungodly and hurtful towards people that God loves and that God made. And so we need His help to break free from anger this morning. We need His grace and His mercy to start seeing people the way that God sees them. To start seeing people the way and loving people the way that God loves them. That He died for them, He loves them, and He shed His blood in order to save them. So we got to watch our words. Not only do we got to avoid unrighteous anger, we also need to watch our words. Here's the last one, is we need to reconcile quickly. We need to reconcile quickly. Notice what He says in verse 23. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says to us here that our anger in our hearts, our conflict that we have with brothers and sisters, it hinders our ability to be able to worship the Lord. The altar was the place of worship. It was the place where the people who were listening to Jesus teach would have gone over and over again in order to worship Him through the priest. People would come to be able to offer their thanksgiving, to be able to offer their sacrifice to the priest at the altar. It was the place of worship. Well, how many of you know this morning that because God is a holy God, that we can't worship Him just any old kind of way? Right? That because God is holy, the Bible talks about the fact that if you're in blatant sin, if you're in blatant contradiction to the commands of God, that you can't just come and go through the rhythms and the motions of worship and think that that's going to be okay. God told the people of Israel through the prophet Hosea, he said, I delight in steadfast love and not sacrifice. He said, I delight in in mercy. I delight in you having compassion on people and not your burnt offerings. And that's because the people of Israel were living in idolatry. The people of Israel were continually and constantly rebelling against God and fashioning idols for themselves and came into the altar thinking that they could just offer a lamb and that was going to make it okay. God says, I don't want your lamb, I want your heart. I don't want your sacrifice, I want your heart to be truly repentant and I want you to be desirous to change. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says if you've got um, unrepentant conflict, if you've got anger, if you've got beef with a person in your life and you're on your way to church to get your worship on, He says you need to full stop and go and reconcile with that person first and then come and worship Me. Jesus says if you and them ain't right, then you and He ain't right, and so you need to go and reconcile with that person. He says, go and leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and be made right with your brother. Now, here's why I think that's a word for some of us today. Is there are some of us in this room today who you haven't been talking to somebody in your family. You've had conflict with somebody in your family since 1994. And you've been holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness to another person in your life. That God is saying you need to deal with that before you come in here and worship me. Right? That it's amazing to me how we can be those who come and worship God for fixing the the beef and the tension that, that he had with us. And then we withhold that from somebody else who's wronged us. The very core message of what we believe as Christians is about forgiveness, isn't it? So how are you and I going to be those who withhold forgiveness against somebody who's wronged us? Jesus tells a a parable in Matthew chapter 18 about forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know about this forgiveness thing, but but how how often am I supposed to forgive? How many times is my brother going to offend me? Is my brother going to do something against me and I'm supposed to just keep forgiving him? And Jesus tells this story and He says in this story that there was a man who owed a debt of about 10,000 talents. A talent, one talent would have taken a person, an average worker, 16 years to be able to pay off. This guy owed 10,000 of them. And literally it talks about in the story how the person who he owed the debt to uh, simply in mercy forgave his debt. He simply said, your slate's clean and I forgive you, go and be in peace. But then ironically, it says that literally this same guy goes out and he finds a guy who owed him a debt that was the equivalent of about $10. And the scripture says, Jesus says that this guy went and he choked this other man out and said, hey, pay me back what you owe. And in comparison, when you think about the insurmountable debt that he was forgiven, the point that Jesus is getting at is how ridiculous. For those who have been forgiven so much to withhold forgiveness. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters you and I have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. You and I are those who have rebelled against God. You and I are those who have rejected God. You and I are those who have turned our back on Him. And He comes and He reconciles with us and gives us forgiveness. As a free gift. And so He says it's on us not to wait for them to say, I'm sorry. Not to wait for them to try and reconcile with us, but for us to leave our gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to them. Here's what it says in verse 25 as I close. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. He says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying not only do we need to reconcile with those who have wronged us, is that we need to do it quickly. We need to do it quickly. We don't need to put it off. That there's that person in your life that, that, that you need to forgive who maybe they don't deserve your forgiveness. Maybe they've done something that is foul and wrong, but he says by the power of the Spirit, you need to go handle that today. You need to go forgive that person. You need to go and say you're sorry for the part that you played in that conflict. And he says you need to do it quickly. What I believe Jesus is also showing us here is the the danger of what happens when you and I can't settle our conflicts in-house. When you and I allow our conflict with each other to rise out of our relationship with each other and out of the church and even into the world. He talks about the court. He talks about the judge. He talks about the guard. All of which are dealing with the situation probably not based on the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, you and I are supposed to be walking by those principles, but the people who don't know God are probably not going to be walking by those principles. And so there's a danger here about our witness to our community, our witness to unbelievers when we don't know how to deal with conflict and anger within the church. Here's the thing that we got to understand, saints, is when we are at each other's throats and we are having conflict with one another, the unbelieving world is watching and they're taking notes. They're watching and they're wondering, they're trying to figure out, do the people of God deal with conflict and anger any differently than the rest of us? So my wife recently had a an issue on Facebook where there were some people who were saying some things and start stirring up some things with her. And um, they started to get kind of, you know, petty and started writing her some inboxes and saying some passive-aggressive things to her that weren't kind. And the world would typically deal with that. How would the world deal with that? The world would deal with that by saying, oh, it's on. It's time to get on here and give my two-page status. Right, the world would say it's time to get on here and, and, and put them on blast and talk about them and tell them about themselves. And since there used to be a time when maybe me and my wife would have done that, maybe there used to be a time when we have done that. But this particular time, by God's grace, we got together and we, we started reading the Proverbs and we started praying and asking God, God, how do your people handle stuff like this? How do your people deal with anger and conflict? How are your people sought in light in a dark world? And we were led to meet with those people face to face and to talk it out in a gentle way. And there's two things that happened, two things that I want to leave you with. Number one, that conflict resolved itself pretty quickly. And number two... The people that we were dealing with and the people that were watching it go down saw something about how the gospel of Jesus Christ empowers the people of Jesus Christ to deal with conflict and anger in a different way. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that we are to be sought in light in a dark world, doesn't he? That we are to be those who press into a dark world that is filled with anger and that is filled with malice and that is filled with hatred. And we should show them something about the love of God and about the forgiveness of God and about how God's people deal with conflict. And it ought to be an aroma of Christ to them that would lead them to believe in the things that we say we believe in. Here's the truth, saints. All of the argumentation and all of the conflict that I see in the body of Christ, it isn't saving people. It's not regenerating people's souls to see us so angry and so bitter and so divisive towards one another. We ought to be a compelling people. We ought to be a people whose lives give off an aroma of Christ that somebody says, I want some of that. And when they look at our lives and they see how we deal with anger and conflict, they're not going to see the fact that we got it all together. When they look at our lives, they're not going to see the fact that, that we have the ability to control our tongue in and of ourselves and to, to, to have thicker skin. what they're going to see is that Jesus lives inside of us. What they're going to see is that we've been changed by the blood and the forgiveness of Christ and that He lives inside of us. It's no longer us who lives, but He who lives inside of us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. we got to be those who avoid unrighteous anger. We've got to be those who watch our words and what we say to people and about people. And we've got to be those who reconcile quickly because of Jesus Christ. And as I close, here's a, and, and if the band wants to come up here, here's a, a thing that we really got to focus on that will bring all of this together. What you meditate on is what shapes you. If you want to be somebody who is set free from anger, if you want to be somebody who is not walking in unrighteous anger and not uh, using your words to hurt people and to cut people down, somebody who is, is reconciling quickly, what you meditate on is what shapes you. And so you've got to be meditating on Jesus and His Word and His bloody cross more than you're meditating on the things of this world. If your discipleship is coming from reality TV shows, then you're going to have a reality TV show kind of response to people. If you're spending more time meditating on empire than you're meditating on the kingdom, you're going to have an empire kind of response. If our minds and our hearts are being led by the words of famous rap artists and hip-hop and and R&B stars rather than Moses and Jeremiah and David and Jesus and Paul, we're going to respond like the people of the world. What you meditate on is going to shape you, and when you are squeezed, what shapes you is what's going to come out. And so may it be that we are a people who meditate upon Jesus. May it be that we are a people who meditate upon the one who was insulted, yet he did not revile in return. May it be that you and I are those who meditate upon the one who was just, though he was treated unjustly. May we be those, the Bible says, who who Jesus was led like a lamb silently before his shearer and never did or said a word unrighteously. Jesus, who suffered the the worst humiliation upon the cross, He was kicked on, he He was beaten, He was spit on, He was mocked, and He began right there as He's hanging on the cross, praying for the very ones who were doing that. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus offered eternal life to a thief who was mocking Him as He died. Saints, when we meditate upon him, his heart and his character and his forgiveness, his compassion, his mercy is formed in our hearts. Let Jesus be the one who fights your battles. Let Jesus be the one who vindicates those who have wronged you. Let Jesus be the one who is the resurrected judge of all the earth, who's going to come back and right every wrong that's ever happened in this life. Let Him be the one who stands before you. And be set free this day from anger. By turning to Him, and by trusting in Him, and by falling upon His grace. As we stand to our feet all over the room, I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to respond to Jesus. To respond to the one who poured his life out for you. Yes, we know that it says in the word of God, you shall not murder another person, but do you have anger in your hearts? Do you have bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness in your heart this morning? If so, you need to be forgiven. You need to fall upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to turn to Him to repent and ask Him to give His grace to you. We need to be set free from anger this morning. We need to be set free from the way that we use our words to people and about people. We need His forgiveness. And there's not one person here who is beyond that forgiveness. Jesus died to save us. He resurrected to bring us into God's family. And may we look to Him and ask Him for His help to be set free from anger today. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these sweet people of God. I thank you for these people who receive your word and listen to your word and want to be changed by your word. God, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you that we have wronged you and belittled you and come up against you as your enemy. Yet, over and over again, you grant us forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that that forgiveness is free. We don't have to earn it. Yes, Lord. And thank you, Father, that that forgiveness changes the way we interact with people. Yes, Lord. God, your family does things different. And I pray that you would set us free this morning to do things differently. Yes, By your power and not our own. And we'll pray all of these things in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen.